quick survey this morning. How many of you are not married, but you hope to be married someday? Okay, several. Why is that funny? That wasn't a joke. Some of you are going to go, no, um, you wouldn't do that. How many, hopeful, okay. Hope, hopeless romantics. Um, how many of you are currently married? Let me see your hands. All right, all right. Got a lot of those. Now, those two groups of those whom are married and those who hope to be married someday, how many of you are planning right now to commit adultery? You're planning to cheat on your spouse in the future. Let me see your hands. No one? That's great, and, but that's interesting because I'm, I, I hope that's true. But the studies that have been done recently indicate that over 50% of men and over 40% of women will commit adultery sometime in their life. More than 5 out of 10 men and 4 out of 10 women, studies indicate, will commit adultery. I think the problem is not that we, we don't plan to commit it. That none, nobody here plans to commit adultery. Nobody plans to cheat. The problem is we don't plan not to. And today we're going to talk about how you can plan not to ever have uh, commit adultery, but to have an affair with your own spouse. Um, if I'm not very, very careful, I have an enemy whose job description, the Bible says, is to steal, kill, destroy you and your life and your future who will do everything he can to put something in front of me, in front of you, that will cause you to stumble. No, no, it doesn't matter how long it takes you to fall, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. He doesn't care. He's planning your downfall today. And so what I've got to do is I've got to plan to have an affair with my wife so that I never even desire to have someone else. And it is possible. We're going to talk about that today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 5. It's a chapter on adultery, but more specifically, it's a chapter on how not to commit adultery. Um, we're going to pick it up in verse 3. It says, The lips of an adulterous woman drip with honey. The Hebrew language, you've got to get this symbolism, you've got to get the picture in your mind. When I read this, I, I, I remembered, I was thinking back in junior high when they first came out with that clear lip gloss. And, and, you know, hormones had started flowing and the cute girls would put on that lip gloss and I'd think, man, that looks good. And then when they got flavors, oh, all right, you know, you're laughing because you know, flavors were awesome. I don't like flavors now. Just anyway, that doesn't matter. That's too much information. The woman, the lips of an adulterous woman drip with honey. Her kiss is smoother than oil. Now, if you go back and you read the first two verses, we're not going to do that right now, but in the first two verses, Solomon is talking to his son, and he says, Son, if you'll put wisdom in your mind, then you can overcome the temptings of the adulteress because you'll speak truth whenever those temptations come into your mind. So it's real important to get your mind right because sex always starts in the mind before it's ever... Between the legs. It's between the ears before it's between the legs. Everybody writes down things. I've got a bunch of people who write down things. Now, James actually said that one before I did. So I'm just repeating something that James said uh, here in, in the pulpit. Now, here's the thing. Um, the, the, 
the sweetest thing in the Hebrew mind was honey. So, you know, there's symbolism there, but they're saying her lips look good. And then the, the smoothest thing was oil, was olive oil. And so when you're telling the Hebrew that her lips drip with honey and, and her, her mouth um, drips with oil, what, what they're saying is she speaks into a man's life and she makes that man feel wanted. Now, if you ever find a man who does not feel respected and wanted by his wife, you can be sure that the enemy is going to bring someone into his life. Now, I am not saying, I would never say that it's right to commit adultery. But what I'm saying is, if you do not respect, ladies, if you do not respect your husbands and communicate that respect and desire him physically, you can bet that your enemy who wants to destroy this marriage and the future of your children will bring a woman into his life who will speak those words and he'll be drawn to her. On the other side of that, if you've got a woman who feels neglected by her husband, not appreciated, not respected, not pursued, you can be sure that the enemy is going to bring a man into her life who will do all of those things for her and she will be attracted to him. Adultery always starts in the mind. That's why it's important to have wisdom implanted there because it enables you to see past the, the current temptation to the consequences that will follow. Now, here's the first thing. Here's the big lie that Satan wants you to believe if you are a, uh, a married person. And here it is. You can do better. Now, let me just say, no, you can't. Look at yourself in the mirror and just say, I can't do any better. No, I, I won't go there. There's a good chance that at some point in your life, in your married life, that you're going to look out and you're going to see someone that might look prettier than your current wife does or definitely more handsome and studly than your current husband does. Janie and I just got off of Royal Caribbean and, and we like Royal Caribbean because it's, number one, it's a more elegant ship than, than Carnival. But two, I mean, dude, it's old people. I got no competition. I don't mind taking off my shirt, laying by the pool, because the dude next to me is, is like a, one of those Sharpay pets, you know? I'm like, there is no competition. Woohoo! You can always find somebody better. The issue for Janie and me is not that there's someone out there better looking or uh, prettier or whatever, more studly. The issue is I've got to have eyes only for her and she has eyes only for me. It's not an issue whether you can find it because you can always find somebody that looks better, but you cannot do any better than your current spouse. Now, the enemy, what he's going to do, a lot of men, he does this to you. He'll, he'll attack you sexually and, and you'll have these little thoughts that will pop in your mind and you'll think, well, I thought that my married sex life was going to be this. And instead, it's way over here. It's dull, it's boring, it's vanilla, and, and I need something better. I need more adventure. There's got to be something more exciting out there, something more juicy, more spicy, more a little more hot than what I've got. That could also almost be a wrap, but I won't do that. A little more hot than what I've got. Now, maybe Satan doesn't attack you sexually, and he does this a lot of times with women. He attacks you emotionally. And he says things like, that husband of yours is just not paying any attention to you. He doesn't value enough to talk to you, value you enough to talk to you. And when you do talk, 
It's nothing. It's about rotating the tires or changing the oil. He doesn't care. There's no real emotional involvement attachment. Surely there's someone else out there. If they knew you, if they could see you, they would be all about you. And he tries to attack you emotionally to try to get your heart to go that direction. Your enemy knows that he has to win the battle in your mind before you ever have sex. It always starts in the mind. And really what it's going to boil down today is to two key words. And these are on your listening guide. One of these words is what God wants for you. One of these words is what Satan, your enemy, wants for you. The first word is Ravah and the second is Shagah. God wants Ravah for you. The devil wants Savah, Shagah. Let me, let me explain these. If you skip down to verse 18... You're going to see it. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you always. I just got to read that again. Let her breasts satisfy you always. Can I get? I know that's right, baby. I love God's word. It's hot with two T's. Some of you are going, dude, that's in there. Man, if you want to get some hot and juicy stuff, come to uh, our Song of Solomon study on Sunday nights. Woo! Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, this word satisfy, that's what I've got underlined and, and bolded there for you. It comes from the Hebrew word ravah. And it means to bathe, to be made drunk, to fill, or to satisfy. That's what it really means, is to satisfy. May the spouse of your youth... Ravah you. May you be overwhelmed with fulfillment and soul level satisfaction from the wife of your youth. That's what God wants for you. Overflowing, overwhelming satisfaction. It's what he had in mind when he saw Adam was alone in the garden and he did something about it and he created Eve to rescue him from that aloneness. And satisfy him. Don't ever believe that God is not a good God. That's what Satan tries to tell you. Satan tries to whisper in your ear. Well, God's not really good. It goes back to the first temptation. God didn't really say this. God, God's just not a good God. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to experience this. And he whispers all of these lies. God is a good God and wants you to be satisfied sexually. But the father of lies, he wants something entirely different for you. It's Shagah. And it's in verse 20. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? There's that word, captivated. Now, why fondle the breasts of someone who is another man's wife? And if you are not married to her, she is another man's wife. Even if you plan to marry her. We talked about this last week. All the intercourse stuff, no intercourse, outer course. Okay, go, go get the tape. I don't have time to repeat all of that. Get the CD from last week. But here's what this word means. If in the Hebrew mind, all of these words were little word pictures, they're little stories that you would put in your mind so that you could understand what the writer was talking about. And for the Hebrew people, this word, the picture of Shagah would be a person who's walking along the main path. Last night I'm driving in the dark and, and I've only been this, this path one way. It's Highway 304 that goes from I-10 up to uh, uh, Bastrop. And I'm thinking, dude, where is it? I've got my GPS on. I've got my, my, my uh, phone and I'm, I'm, I've got my little navigation. I'm going, dude, have I missed it? Because it is dark and I'm trying to get home. And I'm thinking, where is this path? And so I stayed on I-10. And finally, praise God, there it was. Because when you get on this little bitty road, you want to stay on that little bitty road and eventually get to the place where you're going. If you get off the path, 
This is the idea in the Hebrew mind. It's to be on the main path, the one that is accepted, that is expected for you, and to suddenly turn off of the path. But the problem is, there in the Hebrew mind, when you get off that path, there is a wild, vicious animal waiting to devour you. That's the idea of Shagah. And that's what Satan wants for you. Now, if you're walking along in a national park, and, and you know, I, someday I want to go up to Denali National Park, uh, way up there in, in uh, Montana. No, that's in, in Alaska. What's in Montana? Montana. And, okay. Let's, we're going to some big... I've been to, to Yellowstone, and there's places where they say, do not camp here unless you have a hard-sided you know, something. No tent camping because you'll be eaten. Let's say you go to one of these places. And it says, here is the, here is the main path, and this main path is protected. If you stay on the main path, you're okay. But now look, here's what the sign that pops up. And this sign says, do not stray off this path. All other paths taken will result in your death by a grizzly bear. Do you look at that sign and go, what do they know? I can walk on any path I want to walk on. And you know some idiot's gonna walk down and go, I'll show them. And they'll go busting out here. And if there's anything left of him at the funeral, they'll go, man, he was dumb. You know, some idiot would see that sign and test it. There are idiots every day who see the sign, hear the sign from God that says, go this way. And they say, I can do whatever I want to with my body. And I am not going to suffer the consequences. And it leads them to destruction. God says the path to deep soul satisfaction is commitment and sex with, the, with your wife and not someone else's wife or husband. But do we believe God? No, we listen to Satan who says, God's not good because God wouldn't, wouldn't restrict you to just one partner for life. Yes, he would, because that's the path to the greatest satisfaction. The enemy's path is to Shagah. God's path leads to Ravah. Now, let me, let me talk about this a little bit further because one of God's top ten, you know the Ten Commandments, it says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And, and probably everybody here is thinking about adultery as the physical sexual sin outside of marriage. But in the New Testament, this is what always happened. In the New Testament, Jesus would inter interpret the Old Testament and expand it or expound upon the thought. Old Testament says, do not commit adultery. In the New Testament, Jesus says, I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And Jesus is saying that, that adultery can happen visually. Adultery can happen emotionally. Satan has tools, and one such tool is pornography, where he will lead us astray visually. He has romantic novels, Facebook to connect with long lost loves. And emotionally, they just get me. So here's the choice. Let's say, let's say I have two rooms in my house and one is my prayer room. And I go and I spend time in my prayer room and I read my Bible and, and I sing praises to God and I pray for you guys and I pray for my family. I pray for me. I pray for the church. When I leave that prayer room, am I going to be a better father, husband, pastor, leader, Teacher, am I going to be better having come out of the prayer room with God? I'm going to be thinking, hopefully, God-filled thoughts when I come out of that room. But let's say I also have a pornography room. And I go and I spend time in my pornography room. When I spend an hour in there, when I walk out of there, am I going to be a better father, husband, pastor, teacher, lover? No, not a chance. Porn is designed to get you off of the path that leads you to destruction. And you'll be completely devoured by your enemy. 
And, and I've heard this through the years because I've, I've got a lot of friends. I've been, I've been, you know, I went to Baylor, which is, <laughs> Baylor's not a Christian school. I mean, there are some things there that talk about Christ, but you can find anything at Baylor that you can find anywhere else. And I had a lot of friends that talked about pornography. And then, then they would get married and they want, would want to add pornography to see if it would spice up their sex life. But here's what I want to challenge you. If, if you think you need pornography, well, what you're saying to your spouse is, you're not enough. I need something more than what God has given me in you. You don't have what it takes to satisfy Great and godly sex never starts with rejection of your spouse. Ever. Ravah, satisfaction or shagah, off the path, devastated and devoured. Satan knows what he's, been, what he's doing. He's been destroying people for thousands of years. He doesn't come up to you and say, um, cheat on your spouse. Dudes, you're not driving home one day and, you know, in the dark... There's not a naked woman lying on the side of the road going, Woo! come on, big boy. Satan's smarter than that. He starts slowly. And, and he actually has some baby steps that will lead you to Shagah, being devoured, destroyed. And here's those baby steps. I think they're on your listening guide. They enjoy common interests. You see, I want you to watch how long it takes or how many steps you have to go through before you engage physically, you engage sexually. First step, common interests. He wants to bring somebody across your path and it looks totally innocent and it probably is totally innocent. But then you begin to share personal information and there's some type of connection, a little bit going on there and you begin to anticipate time together. I've seen men who planned their, their morning coffee break when the new girl was going by to get coffee just so he could be in her presence. Married men going where they should not go. Counselors will tell you if you're because because when you see somebody of the opposite sex and they look good, that's not the temptation. The temptation is when you begin to dwell on that and think I need to be near them. That's a bad deal. So this one counselor uh, that did the five love languages, Gary Chapman, he said, if if you get the tingles for somebody, some new girl who walks by and, and the only time you ever see her is at the coffee pot, don't ever drink coffee again. Just don't go there. Don't pursue those things and Satan won't have an opportunity. Because you go there, you start to anticipate times together and then look at the next step. You begin to hide the relationship from your spouse. You begin to flirt and there's minor, minor arousing touch. It can just be... Because you think about the progression of sexual desire. You remember the first time you held hands with somebody? I do. I was in the back of a pickup coming back from a youth thing. We were in a little camper. And I remember her hand was right down there. And she looked good. Her lips were dripping. I wasn't even thinking of kissing her. But I remember I just kind of shifted my weight and put my hand over there. Six weeks later, man, I wanted to hug her because that hand wasn't enough. I want to kiss her. You understand where it goes? It starts with just a little bit of, of could, be, could start off as appropriate touch, but it, it very quickly moves into inappropriate touch. And, and we're just there at step number five. Step number six, they invent excuses to call or meet. I'm going to explain that. You, you understand that. Then you begin to lie to your spouse about the other person. I was watching a, a, a show one of those 48 hours, one of those prime time, one of those things. 
And this guy was trying to convince the jury that he hadn't killed his wife. And long story, he ends up being guilty. But one of the things that convicted him was he was at the house on his own video surveillance camera. Criminals are really stupid. Yeah, he, he, he was on the video camera when he said he wasn't there, so he lied about that. And then, as he's taking his wife to the hospital, he's texting his lover. They, they got him, they know the time, they know when, because he was pulled over. You begin to deceive your spouse with words and actions, and then it is just a very, very short step from seven to eight where you engage sexually. It never starts physical but it always ends with the physical. Your body will follow where your heart goes. Your body will follow where your emotions go. The enemy knows this, so he starts innocently, but his goal is your destruction no matter how long it takes. Now, in Proverbs chapter 5, Solomon is, is teaching his son, and he actually gives us, he teaches us how to avoid this destruction, shagah. Avoid adultery by following a two-step process. And the enemy wants you to visualize all the good, but here's what God, Solomon says, visualize the destruction. Sin is fun for the while. The Bible tells us that. Sin is fun for a while, but it never stays fun. Verse 4, it says, but when it is all over, you and, you and the adulteress, or you the, the adulterer, when it is all over, she leaves you nothing but bitterness and pain. Every time I read Facebook, and I do a lot of reading on Facebook, I rarely post anything because I don't think I have anything worth saying um, most of the time. But I do, I do read about y'all um, and some others. I've got a lot of friends. All of a sudden, all of my high school friends found me. It's kind of funny to look on their pictures because um, they've changed. I have, I have too, I know. They're all like, where'd your hair go? I said teenagers. I got two teenagers. Um. Have you noticed, and, and this doesn't just come from Facebook, it comes from your friends and family that you know. Have you noticed that whenever someone pursues a relationship and it gets into sin, that when, when that relationship blows up, there's always devastation. There's always bitterness and pain and heartache. It's because you're trying to do relationships the way Satan wants you to and not the way God wants you to. Sex is always in the mind before it's in the bed. You've got to think about the end result. Okay, so I was thinking about this. If I commit sexual sin, uh, really kind of scares me. Because number one, that's one of the reasons I can be fired. Caleb asked me a couple years ago, can the church fire you? I said, sure. For doing something illegal or immoral. If I commit sexual sin, you should fire me. But that's not the, the, the end result. I will have destroyed 20 years with a woman who loves me and makes me feel secure and calls me the spiritual leader in our home. I could possibly end that marriage because she would never trust me again. And my kids? Oh, don't you, don't you ever think your kids will understand adultery? They won't. They'll take sides and they'll probably take the side of the one who didn't commit it. I've seen it for years. And then I was thinking about this. I, I spoke at a funeral yesterday. I spoke at a funeral on Thursday. And, and some of those funerals, I saw people I hadn't seen in years. I could destroy 27 years of ministry 
for just a few moments or maybe a few seconds of passion, I could hurt the name of this church and cause people to go, well, there's not a chance in hell I'm going to that church. And I could destroy the name of God all for some pleasure, some temporary pleasure. Think through the consequences. You don't want to contribute to your own children's marriage problems, but I guarantee you that's what you might do. You very well might do that if you commit adultery and you cheat on their parent. You may be setting them up for failure in the future. And that's just devastating. We've got to think about it. Not a person here said they plan to commit adultery. But if the stats are true, there's a whole lot of you in this room that are going to do it because you're not going to think about the consequences. Second thing Solomon says is shield your marriage. Last week, we, I showed you that video, and one of the things it said in the video was, let no evil dwell in your tent, and it means to put up boundaries. Well, behind us, behind our house, there's this family that has a big dog, and I'm not talking about the candidates. They have a big dog, but they have a fence. And their big dog is nice as long as you come in through the house. Don't try to walk in the gate. Don't ask me how I know. Don't try to walk in the gate without going through the house, because Bella Hope, she's a big dog, and she takes her territory very seriously. There's some folks behind us that have a big dog. And uh, twice this last week, their big dog, when they let them out to do the little doggy business, their big dog comes into my yard because they have a fence up there, but the fence has fallen down and the dogs come into my yard. Well, the first time Caleb was out there and, and, you know, Caleb walks out towards the dog and it, it backs up a little bit, but then it turns around, bears its teeth, all the hair sticks up and it charges him. Now, he was smart. He didn't turn and run. He just stood there, and the dog came within a few feet, and it turned around and left. And so he called me, and I'm like, and, and I'm hot. And I'm like, oh, no, not fitting to have this. Well, then Janie goes out there another time. The dog charges her. She tells this family, she said, um, y'all got to understand. Your dog came over. Oh, it's a friendly dog. Okay, I've been bitten by two different dogs. I've been chased by more dogs than I care to remember. It's real obvious when a dog is friendly and when a dog is not friendly. Bared teeth, nervous look in the eyes, and hair standing up on its neck. That's not a friendly dog. The dog made his intentions very clear. I'm going to hurt you. If this dog shows up in my yard again, I shall make my intentions very clear. I'm not going to have your dog in my yard threatening my family. Fences make great neighbors. Can I get an amen? Fences make a great marriage. you got to have boundaries. That if you're a man that shows your wife she is number one and she is on a pedestal. Women, you need to show your man. And, and this crap about I've got to keep all of my friends of the opposite sex when I get married. How stupid are you? Just write it on the back. I'm stupid and I'm mad at you. That's okay. Write it on your card today. I can take it. Janie is my number one relationship on the planet, male or female. I don't care how much fun you say we're going to have doing whatever. I will always choose her over you. I think all smart men will. Doesn't mean I can't go out. Sometimes I'll go out with the guys. That's fun. We'll go out and and paintball. Sometime I'll get to go paintball. I'll be at gymnastics next week instead of paintball. Because I love my girls. I'll cheer for them. I told Hannah, and I actually did this at the last meet, because, you know, just sometimes I'll mess with her and, and I say, ha, nah. 
I said, that'd be, if you were Chinese and that was your name, you were a gymnast, ha, na, on the beam. And so she told me, she said, Daddy, if you say that when we're at the meet, I'm going to laugh. So last week, man, she comes walking out there and I wait until it's real quiet. And I said, ha, na. And she gets tickled and I kept doing it. And this one coach that was with her, she goes, is your name really ha, na, or is your dad just weird? And she said, my dad's weird. Um, You've got to put a boundary around your relationships that show those people they are number one. You don't say it, you show them so that they feel it. And if they don't feel number one, you've got to change so that they feel like they're number one. Here's how Solomon said it in, in Proverbs chapter 5. And, and I gave, I'm going to put four different translations up here of the same verse because I want you to get it. Here's the first one. Keep to a path far from her, far, far from the adulteress. Do not go near the door of her house. That's the NIV. Here's the New Living Translation. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. You sense a pattern here? Uh, here's the Living Bible. Run from her. Don't go near her house. And then here's the message, and, and this is probably my favorite. Keep your distance from such a woman. Absolutely stay out of her neighborhood. What we're doing is we're drawing the line in the wrong place. A lot of people say, here's the line, and I don't want to cross this line and get into any physical touching or any physical stuff with this other person. That's the wrong place. You don't go next to a woman whose lips drip with honey and her speech drips with oil and go, hey, I'm going to stay over here. Dudes, come on. You move the line way back over here. You stay out of the neighborhood. It's not just physical touch. I don't want to violate my wife with my eyes looking at another woman. And dude, that's hard in this society because there's stuff everywhere. You ask your wife. Guys, I dare you, if you're man enough to do this, I dare you to ask your wife what she would think if you were to check out a good-looking woman walking by. And get close enough that she can smack you. Because she's going to show you. Because that does not honor her in any way. And I, I dare you to ask her this too. Because I've talked to, to ladies. I've talked to my wife about this. Pornography makes her feel she's not good enough. Now, every guy will say, baby, it's not about you. And, and it's not, but, but that doesn't even matter. Guys say, oh, I'm visual and all that stuff. We are, but that's, that's not even the issue. The issue is, if I starve my eyes for everyone but my wife, she looks good no matter what she's wearing. Because i got nothing else to compare it to. Does that make sense? Men, we've got to go to a new standard, and we've got to teach our sons a new standard. We were talking about this last week in, in small group, Song of Solomon. And we were talking about the difference in men and women and how men, men are visual. Woo! And we were talking about Solomon was doing this right. He was pursuing this woman. And then it was kind of funny because I asked the ladies about their interpretation of this one verse where, you know, he's talking about how beautiful she is and she's up here and she's great. And then it gets to her and she goes, he is mine and I am his. Mm. You know, and, and the ladies were like, if a man treats me right, pursues me, puts me on the pedestal, I am his. Guys are taking notes. We, we got to be smarter about this thing and figure out this male-female relationship. Let me, uh, let me give you some three nevers and three always to do. I'm going to get real practical here. Never be alone with the opposite sex. 
ever. I didn't even office up here until James went on full time because I never ever wanted to be here when somebody could walk in the door. And by the way, if you come by here, ladies, if you come by here and one of us is gone, the door is going to be locked and we're not going to answer. Not because we think there's anything that you might possibly be pursuing. We, we are not deluded with how well we look. James and I are convinced that, that our wives are blind. But <laughs> he's just trying to put on, I know. We feel blessed to have our wives, but there is no, absolutely no reason for us to have a woman in this building without someone else in this building. There is absolutely no reason for me to drive anywhere on this planet with someone that I'm not related to, with a female that I'm not related to. Um, never, ever, because then you never even give anybody an opportunity. Satan doesn't even have the chance. The line is so far back that it never even gets to this emotional connection because it's not going to happen. Number two, never discuss your marriage with the opposite sex, ever. Don't talk good about it. Don't talk bad about it. Don't talk about it. Because there is no reason, because Satan's going to bring somebody up. And if you say, well, my wife does this, it drives me crazy. There will be a woman somewhere someday will go, well, I'd never do that to you. It happens. Never hang around in wrong environments. And I don't know what that is for you. I know what it is for me. I'm not going to hang around with people who don't like their spouses. It's not going to do it. I'm not going to hang around. And, and I love you single people, but I'm not going to hang around a lot with you single people, you know, outside. Of, we'll go play, do stuff. You can come to my house. You know, we can go to the Y. We can go work out. But I'm not going to go to parties. I'm not going to hang around in places where there's a lot of single people doing single stuff because I'm not. Here's some always. Always pursue your relationship with Christ. When you're on fire for Christ, and, and anybody here who's ever been on fire for Christ can tell you, it is so much more difficult to be on fire for sin when you're on fire for Christ. Anybody agree? Always be accountable. That means have someone who will look you in the eye. Someone who can ask you questions about your life. Someone who knows you well enough to go, dude, you just lied to me. And I don't appreciate it. How's your marriage? How's what you're doing on the internet? What are the sites you're looking at? Are you, are you pursuing Christ and are you pursuing your spouse? You need somebody that will look you in the eye that, that you can't lie to. Always water your own grass. That's the symbolic way to say take care of your own marriage. I hear people say, we're just not in love anymore. And so I, my question is, when did you quit doing those things that helped you fall in love in the first place? When did you stop? It's not rocket science. <laughs> those things you did to catch her, you do to keep her, dudes. You used to. You'd shave, brush your hair, put on clean underwear, put on deodorant, brush your teeth. You used to, to, you used to make an effort. Those holy underwear do not impress her. Put on an extra squirt of cologne and take her out. Ah, yeah, I know. These ladies are going to get into this. And some of you go, I just can't afford to date. You can't afford not to. You priced a divorce lately? I'm serious. I'm not, I'm not making... Oh, I can't spend 25 bucks to take you out, but I'll spend 6000 to divorce you. 
I just, that math is stupid. Talk. Talking is when you look at each other and you share ideas. Some, some guys don't know that. There is such a thing as non-sexual touch. I'm working on it. No television for a week. Turn off the television and talk and see what happens in your relationship. If you share, serve one another. If you've messed up, apologize, guys. Tell her that you're wrong. And then if you're married, get naked. And you can say that in church. Get naked. Put a lock on the door if you got kids. They work. You do not have to answer that door. <laughs> Last week I, I did this whole talk, you know, about... Um, <laughs> oh, just about the... the um, Lies that Satan wants you, your children to believe and, and all this stuff. And one of the things I talked about with sexual purity is an act of worship. And so we were, uh, we finished the service and I went outside and, you know, it's, it's, we're here quite a while. Janie and, and Teresa are back there counting the money and doing all of that stuff and getting it ready because we have to take that by the bank when we leave here. And, you know, it's got to be all signed and all of this stuff. And um, so I was just hanging out and, and talking to a lot of you and a lot of you left. And then there's probably four or five people out there in the, in the, uh, living room and i had gotten in late i got in about one o'clock from a gym meet last week and and like a dork i went by and i got food while the girls were getting their you know all of their awards and i come back and i'm cheering Woo Hana! and and we eat our food i scarf it down because i didn't want to drive in the dark and be eating and so then the girls about 30 minutes later they had to stop and so i'm like oh man i'm gonna get me some dessert and so i'm just eating i finish and i'm just so full my gut's touching the the steering wheel. And so I get home and it's one o'clock in the morning and I'm thinking, I got to get in bed because I got to preach tomorrow. And so I go to bed while well, I'm a stomach sleeper. Well, dude, when your stomach is out like this, you know, you can't sleep. And I'm going, oh yeah, pregnant women. Yes, I can, I can identify. Last Saturday night, that's how I felt. And, and you, you, no, well, yeah. So I couldn't sleep and I was going, oh no. And I don't even know, it was well after 2 o'clock before I finally fell asleep. And then I get up early and I study, you know, before service. Well, anyway, so I'm exhausted. And, and so I, I said to everybody, I said, come on, Washburns, it's time to go home and take a nap. And uh, Jeff Gillis, the good friend that he is, he goes, oh, I know what you're doing. You're not going home to take a nap. You're going home to worship. <laughs> so what if I was? I'm merely following scripture and taking care of my marriage. There's nothing wrong with that. Can I get an I know that's right, baby? We should have many children in nine months from this sermon. We should have lots more children being born at New Life. Now, okay, here's the good news. Let me wrap this up. Some of you have already crossed the line sexually and, and you feel really, really bad today. Here's the news for you. Even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. Look at this verse. Did I put this on your listening guide? I don't remember. If we are faithless, God will remain faithful. 2 Timothy 2.3 If you've crossed the line and you've got some guilt today, Praise God that He's working in your heart and give it to Him today. Cry out to Him and say, God, I have violated your standards and I need forgiveness. Some of you, we talked about this several times, and some of you are dealing with shame sexually. 
And Satan is beating you down. You don't have to be there. God says that, that when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And God's truth is he is waiting. He died on the cross, shed his blood to cover your sins, even your sexual sins or those sins committed against you by someone else. And you can have freedom, but you've got to ask for it. So let's bow our heads for just a moment. And some of you right now, silently where you're sitting, you need to say to God, God, I need your forgiveness. I need your cleansing. I need you to be the leader of my life. Just pray that silently in your mind. Some of you are way hurting in this area of sexual sexuality and, and you just need to tell God, God, I got some issues that I can't handle on my own. Would you help me? And would you bring some people into my life who will help me walk through this? There are people in this church waiting for you to ask for some help, for some accountability, for some prayer, for some friendship. Some of you need to quit playing Christianity. You're doing the halfway cultural Christianity thing, the politically correct Christianity, one foot in the door of the church, one foot everywhere else doing whatever you want to, and you're playing a game and you need to stop it. And you need to say to God, I am tired of playing this Christian game. I want to go all in. Let's pray that silently. Some of you need to say, today, God, I step across the line of faith and into your family. I belong to you. Be everything to me. Father, I believe some people stepped into the kingdom of God today. And I pray that they would get plugged into a small group and into the church and that they would grow to be the people you want them to be. Help us become the church you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.